0: everyone this is our preview of part two of unions and the mob reputation versus reality where we go over what actually happened in regards to corruption most specifically with the teamsters and what that means from the workers perspective and what actually happened so if you want that full episode you can become a patron at patreon.com slash we're an entirely listener supported podcast so we appreciate that you would support us in that way it gets you access not only to this series but also all of our overtime stuff whether it be the repressive state apparatus rank and file organizing we've got a bunch of really great stuff in there and if you can't afford to become a patron right now as times can become tough at any moment go ahead and jump in the discord and message one of the admins and we'll hook you up with our secret patron feed We really appreciate the help, though, if you can support us, even if it's just writing reviews and and sharing our episodes with people. Anyway, without further ado, here is the preview of our second episode in this series, Solidarity Forever.
1: Yeah, so we sort of laid out the basis for these, again, what would be called cartels today, basically, laying out uh, examples, like we used coal haulers. In the first episode of the ways that these small businesses would come together to basically try and stop driving each other out of business and into ruin alongside agreements to use union labor prior to the domination of monopoly interests that we would see start to show up later in the 20th century, especially after the Second World War and how that created many situations that would be legally prohibited today, under you know, modern law, but are a lot harder to judge when you look at it from either just a like moral angle or looking at it from a material interest perspective from the working class. And so David Whitwer, who is the, the author of the book Corruption and Reform in the Teamsters Union, which is the primary source for the first episode and this episode, uh, he he cites several similar examples in his book, including... Teamsters who hauled coal getting their union brothers to strike deliveries against office buildings that converted to gas heating and to accept payment from coal sellers to cover strike benefits. Then another example of uh, beer hauling Teamsters who struck against Anheuser-Busch in Chicago when Bush refused to join the Chicago Brewers Association and agree to the set labor contract with the Teamsters that the rest of the city's brewers had agreed to. And then finally as another example of the Teamsters striking against new independent brick-producing companies after 35 small brickmakers in Chicago merged into a brick trust, which set up a labor fund to basically pay the union for the exclusive use of their labor by paying them the equivalent of uh, $750,000 today. Wow. So clearly each of these sorts of arrangements— uh, including the strikes that were involved in them, today would be ruled a a, a violation of free trade and, and might be classed as basically antitrust legislation. Uh, but from the perspective of the working class, it's not quite that, Obvious because again, when we think of something like antitrust, you know you think of your the basic example they always teach you in school is standard oil it 's like you have an oil company and it gets really huge, and then it goes and buys up all of its little competitors or pushes them out of business so that they 're the only one who 's operating and they screw over everybody else so that 's what people think of usually when they think of trust, but this is a little a little different than that because Except in the uh, that example of the brick trust that was formed. It's, this is mostly an agreement between multiple different small businesses. And in these cases, you're not seeing those uniform problems that would arise from a trust that you would see in the example of like Standard Oil that would hurt workers as well as customers. Whereas in these cases, from the perspective of the working class... As long as any payments that the union is getting in the form of strike benefits are or this like you know labor fund that that the the brick workers in Chicago got, as long as that money is going to the workers and not just you know going to leadership as a payoff or something. And as long as the union continued to get good contracts for the workers, it's really hard to see how this sort of an arrangement could be called corrupt, again, from the perspective of the workers.
2: Right. Well, and it's also like the workers don't have exactly every option in the world for how right. this arrangement is going to take place. They're hemmed in by their material conditions compared to the employers engaging in, on the other side of this agreement who really could take or leave whatever they want and have the institutional power of the rest of the ownership class behind
1: them. Right. Right. And additionally, one of the things that that is often used to basically decry this sort of arrangement today is the idea of like this stifles competition or this like raises prices for whoever, whatever businesses this cartel is supplying. Like mm-hmm. in the case of the the brick trust, that all all the all of their construction contractors now they have to pay more for bricks. But again, when when we're looking at this from a class perspective, why would we care about that? <laughs> As workers? Like that's the thing that's always brought up. It's like, oh, all these businesses are gonna have to pay more for their inputs. Okay. That sounds like a bourgeois problem to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like, well, and
2: also that's gonna happen even if you don't pay the workers more.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's the that's the thing. It's like These sorts of arguments that are thrown out against this sort of arrangement are not germane to the interests of the working class. Our fight is with all the bosses. What do we care if one group of bosses fucks over another group of bosses? Exactly. (laughs) Let them fight. (laughs) right now but that's not to say that there aren't problems with these arrangements it's just that the usual way that they're framed as problematic is from a ruling class perspective and not really relevant to our examination of whether or not these agreements should be thought of as corrupt exploitative extortionist racketeering etc really when we look at where these sorts of arrangements come from they're not coming out of the unions trying to stifle free trade they are coming out of fundamental contradictions within capitalism itself deriving from the very problem of the existence of private property and that ruthless competition that it encourages so again it's really hard to see these sorts of arrangements as wrong from either a class or even a vaguely moralistic standpoint but where they do become problematic is when we look at them from the perspective of what we want unions to be, which is fighting organizations of the working class in the struggle not just for better wages, but to overturn the capitalist system that exploits us. And that brings in problems with these sorts of arrangements because these sorts of setups, like the strikes, for instance, if we use the the, uh, example of the coal haulers, where they began, you know, striking against buildings that started using gas for heat instead of coal b- while having their strike benefits paid for by the coal suppliers the problem you s- create there is then you are identifying the interests of the coal hauling workers with the interests of the coal selling businesses mm-hmm. And our interests are not aligned. (laughs) And that's a problem because viewing those interests as going together is kind of the foundation of business unionist ideology. And we've talked extensively about the problem that that brings into. Because fundamentally, this is again bringing in this idea that class antagonism either doesn't exist or is not fundamental to our economics. It, it encourages to, to, to not have an adversarial relationship between the unions and the bosses. And that just leads to so many problems. See the, the whole uh, series on the decline of American unionism.
2: I mean, see the tagline that we say at the end of every show.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so the other big thing that this came with it is the problems with these restrictions of free trade being illegal carries with it. All of these potential legal penalties on the mm-hmm. union that could do real damage to the material interests of the workers. And now just to be clear, that's not me saying unions should never break the law far from it. The law is fake and and it, it is a tool of, of our oppressors, but it, you have to pick your battles and It's one thing to encourage a union to illegally strike when it's because, say, the president and the party in power have decided that rail unions aren't allowed to strike because it would be too disruptive. That's a good reason to break the Mm -hmm. law. But when you're coming into an arrangement like this, where while there may be some benefits to the workers, but primarily the group that's benefiting from these strikes is ultimately the bosses... That's where you start you have to like make a calculation there of like is it really worth it to be potentially bringing these legal penalties the reputational penalties that come with that sort of thing onto the union not for a, you know an existential strike to make sure the union can survive or to make sure that you know workers can actually live on the b- the wages and benefits they're making but to get a small benefit for the workers and a major benefit for the bosses. That's the sort of thing where these arrangements become a problem. But of course, and and, and I know this is, you know, kind of getting into the weeds here, but I think it's important to examine this because when we have to look at these on whether these arrangements are corrupt, again, we're looking at this from a class angle and it's not that these sorts of strikes were corrupt from the working class. It's that they were bad tactical decisions, that's where they become a problem.
0: Right. I mean, I think that it really becomes apparent in like the kind of notion that like unions are inherently good or or fighting back and strikes are all inherently good and that's just not a materialist analysis of the situation. I mean, there could be very real issues that arise from it like it, tactics that lead to massive amounts of repression. Uh, without any victories or yeah. uh or just the fact that unions can be used in a really uh bad fashion if we think back to the way like um the solidarity centers of the uh, <laughs> AFL in relation to the CIA. Those were unions that were used to attack the working class. So it's not like we can just look at these things in a vacuum and say they're good all the time.
2: Yeah, well, it's like it's also like you have to be much more tactically aware when you are the party that's fighting the uphill battle, which the workers are in these situations. If you think about it in video game terms, if you're the bosses, you have a huge life bar, you have a giant inventory, you have lots of resources. If you're the worker you don't have all of those things and the most important things you can have are uh you know a united voice and will to act and really really good tactical decision making to make sure that you don't get burned and that you get what you want
1: yeah absolutely so you know from a working class perspective those sorts of arrangements i really don't think should be classed as corrupt even if we think they were a bad idea and that they led to bad things like the uh, reinforcing of business unionist ideology However, now that we've gone into the really complicated issues, there are, of course, some much simpler forms of corruption that did, of course, happen. So, an early associate of the leadership of the Teamsters Union, team, a man named John Driscoll, emerged as a power player right, right around the turn. Of- I won't be right-
3: It's more for a long, long time. Gonna hit the road, start looking for the end of that long white line. Gonna hit the road, start looking for the end of that long white line. I woke up my baby was gone, without a hurdle, no home. Gonna hit the road, start looking for the end of that long white line. Gonna hit the road. that'll push girl out of my mind If somebody wants to know what's become of this it's so-and-so Tell them I'm somewhere looking for the end of that long white line Tell them I'm somewhere looking for the end of that long white line New York City Old St. Joe Albuquerque, New Mexico This old river I'm in a roller, she's a do it fine. If somebody wants to know what's coming of so and so. Tell them I'm somewhere looking for the end of that long white line. Tell them I'm somewhere looking for the end of that long white line. And so and so. Tell them I'm somewhere Looking for the end Of that long white line Tell them I'm somewhere Looking for the end Of that long white line I won't be round In this old town Heading over a long long time normally hit the road Not looking for the end Of that long white line Tell them I'm somewhere Looking for the end Of that long white line